Hey everybody, today we've got a new guest. Uh, Nick is joining us and Nick is an expert in the long sales cycle. Uh, so he's going to talk to us about how the complex uh, sales cycle is different than the transactional uh, relationship-based sales tips. Uh, everything from staying organized and keeping a clear head and how that's important for sales. Uh, so it's a really good episode. He's got a lot to share with us and I hope you enjoy Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, before we get started with today's episode with Nick, I wanted to let you know that if you're an early stage startup and you're looking to get your sales up to 1 million plus in annual revenue, then we have a boot camp for you. Uh, Bootcamp is, uh, is a program where we work together on building your sales processes, uh, teaching you how to, how to get your first sales, how to put your outbound processes together, everything that you need so that you could start to build a scalable and, uh, and repeatable business plan, uh, for sales. So for more information, just head over to startupsales.io. That's startupsales.io. And you'll see a section called Bootcamp. Go ahead and click there. Let's get to today's episode with Nick. All right, Nick, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. I'm really excited to be speaking with you. Yeah, for, for those of, the, of everyone listening, this is actually round two of you and me because the first recording got uh, botched. We'll, we'll call it, let's say that. Well, and that's <laughs> all right. I think the first one we'll call the warm up. And now we're here. We know each other. You and I had a great conversation now about the four hour work week, which is a, a book we've bonded over. So I think this one's actually going to be even better. So the listeners lucked out this time. Excellent. Terrific. So why don't we start with uh, who you are and uh, a little bit about your experience and why we should listen to you. So again, my name is Nick Zagelski. I'm a sales professional based in beautiful Los Angeles, California. And I work for a legal tech company selling a cloud uh, ERP software, which helps large law firms um, manage things like intake of new clients accounting, sending bills out, record keeping, et cetera. So that's kind of what I've been doing right now. I've worked for um, a couple startups in my sales career. And yeah, I think I've learned a lot over the, over the past couple of years. That's for sure. Actually, I've started a yeah. in the past with one of your other podcast guests, Armand Farouk. So we could talk a whole lot about that journey, but I think it'd be more exciting to talk about what I'm doing. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, where you're at now and, and what does the sales process look like today? Sure. It is. This is definitely the most complex and sophisticated sale that I've ever been involved in. The software that I sell, it touches so many different parts of the, the customer's business. So there are implications um, for, for every department from finance to IT to the attorneys at the law firms that I sell to the support staff at the law firms that I sell to. And so there's a lot of different stakeholders and influencers in these deals that I'm working and I'm seeing them more and more lean towards very consensus driven buying. And so a huge part of my job to navigate this sales process is 
more deeply understanding exactly how my customer's business works and like what their specific challenges and goals and, and KPIs that they're looking at, like what do they care about? And then connecting them with the right subject matter expert at my own company, and then making sure that that person knows what they're supposed to say. And that doesn't mean I necessarily know like the technical side of what my, the, the folks internally need to say, but I do know that I need to like prepare them and say, hey, here's here's their world. Here's how I think you're going to link up to what their world is. So it's a really, I, I love the sophistication of it. It's really, really fun. It's not one of these things where like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm still hammering the phone. I'm still cold calling. I'm still doing a lot of the things that you would you would think a normal sales professional would do, but there's almost more of an element of project management and consultant in a way, because like these sales cycles take a really long time. When I work with a law firm that's literally looking to rip and replace their accounting and intake and record keeping system, it's a, it's a decision that one, they're going to live with for the next two decades. And two, like, uh, it's going to take them two years to make that decision. It's a really yeah. long and complex sales process, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It and it seems like you're like you you become more of a of an orchestrator of a orchestra. You're, yeah. you're conducting everybody. You're you're keeping okay. You talk to this person. You talk to this person. Keeping each ball rolling. You're absolutely right. And that's why sometimes, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, like cold calling is probably now my favorite part of the job because it's it's so simple and like, there's a defined outcome. It's like either it worked or it didn't, right? Either you got the meeting or you didn't. And like there's so much ambiguity sometimes and complexity to being that that orchestrator. And you don't necessarily know, like maybe the meeting was a seven out of 10 and not a 10 out of 10, but Maybe you don't like know that until two months later when they say, "Yeah, it was only you know a seven out of ten. We have to talk about it or something." And so um, that's why I like cold calling. Sometimes I can just I can put on some music and just I know at the end of it was it successful or not. So, uh, but yeah, immediate you're, gratification. You, exactly. Yeah, I know. And sometimes we need that. Yeah. All right. So how is a I mean, in what other ways, besides speaking to a lot of different people and, and making connections between your company and your prospects company, what other ways are, are complex sales cycles different than uh, more transactional or, or less complex? Hmm. Oh, that's a really good one. Well, so I actually think the sales cycle thing does, does play into it where you have more than one at bat sometimes. And what I might mean by that is if I'm selling a piece of software, or I'm selling into a space that is very transactional where it's maybe a one or two call close, like you might have a, an initial call with a customer and a discovery and then a demo and then it's time to close. Like I, I know some sales cycles are like that. Well, if you have a bad demo or like you're, you're giving the demo and you're not on that day or the solutions connect with the customer for whatever reason, you pretty much know the sale is shot. I just closed a deal with a, a, a pretty large law firm um, that we had maybe 15 demos over the course of 18 months. And it, some of those where like the law firm forgot some things that we had shown them, which you can't blame them. 
the first demo that we'll do after we do kind of like a teaser demo, like when we really go in depth and show them everything, it's a full day, sometimes two days, like 10 hours of demoing software. So, and then we'll do follow-ups because they'll say, Hey, we have this specific scenario with billing that we really need to see how you would handle. And so we'll do a follow-up demo. So you get more at bats sometimes, and that can be a good and a bad thing. And ideally you're actually homing in uh, more and more accurately on on how this this particular customer's business works instead of when it's a one or two call close, it's typically a very, very generic demo. The other piece that I would say, I think most folks typically think only apply to very sophisticated sales like this, but actually should apply to um, every sale is the, the audience of who you're speaking to. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of novice sales professionals get, get really focused on, hey, this, this one person at the company wants to talk with me. I'm only going to talk to one person versus when I'm talking to a customer, like if I have a meeting and there's 15 people in that meeting, I'm, I make it a goal of mine to, to try and connect with them in some way like immediately after the meeting and I'll send an individual thank you email. Like I just had a meeting in San Francisco and I got the, the six people who were in the room. I got their contact information and they all got emails after like personalized, thanking them for their time. And then also, Hey, was there anything in particular that we didn't discuss on Thursday that you wanted to discuss? And I'm getting individual people and I'm finding these like threads where, Oh, this person in finance has these set of concerns that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And you will never get if you only talk to the COO. And if you only talk to the COO and God forgive, what if that person leaves the company? Well, now you don't have a connection with anybody. So I think the, the map of your buyer's organization, it matters more in a really sophisticated sale, but it still matters when you're doing something transactional. I think it's uh, amazing what you said to to get the emails and ask for the contact information of everybody that's in the meeting and then follow up personally. Don't send a mass email with every, to everybody CC. Each one, because you're starting your own conversation and then th they're not going to feel free if everybody CC to respond and say, hey, financing had these concerns. Then you're not yes. going to get that insight. You're totally... So that's so key, Adam. It's the fact that if you, it's a mass email... And maybe, maybe there was someone in the back you didn't really talk to. Like there'll be times that there's one of the partners of the law firm is in the room and he's in the meeting for 15 minutes, right? And maybe he's not super engaged in the demo because he doesn't really care about how accounting works. He just wants something that, that's a fit for his firm. But maybe he has one or two specific concerns that he didn't bring up in the meeting. Well, also something I do is I always connect with everybody on LinkedIn at, at most 24 hours um, within the meeting ending and like sending the connection because like you're freshest in their mind then. And that does two things. One, it's another opportunity. I've had prospects engage with me on LinkedIn, like not only on the content that I post publicly, but um, they'll, they'll private message me and we'll have conversations there also. And so one, I want them to have that medium available Two, it, it's important because the cumulative effect of doing that for, for 18 months, all of a sudden you've got this great huge network on LinkedIn of people that, that I can now always direct message and they're always going to engage with me. And so doing those things is really, really important and you become a little bit more human. And so what I'm trying to do is you get out of this big meeting where this customer has a huge decision to make. Like they hold the 
future of their business. Like this decision is massive for these law firms. It's a half a million dollar decision in a year. And like, think about that over 20 years, they're spending a lot of money with us. And so um, most of them are terrified. They're absolutely terrified of making the wrong decision. And so when you can be a human and connect with them and say, and, and actually find out what are the other concerns you have? What other conversations do we need to like have? They'll open up. And now I have a to-do list of 27 things following that meeting that, yeah, I'm putting more on my plate and I'm bringing more on for me and my organization to, to respond to. But if that stuff sits unanswered, they're going to go to the competitor that that gives them clarity. Something that my my boss says, and I, I love it. It's a confused mind never buys. Exactly. It's it's really good. And also think about yourself, put yourself in their shoes or you're never going to speak 100% honestly or uh, speak all about your concerns when you're in a room full of your bosses and your colleagues. Yeah. There's going to be some things you're going to feel stupid to spring up. And so you're giving them that opportunity to to be themselves and address their concerns. Because like you said, it's, it's not just a, it's a consensus-based buying uh, cycle nowadays. Uh, especially for these bigger transactional, uh, bigger size deals. Yeah. And you need everybody sign off. And if you don't think that you need everybody sign off, even if you're a smaller price point, you do. You don't just need the decision maker. You need the technical people. You need the yeah. sales people if it, if it affects them. You need the marketing people if it affects them. You need everybody uh, to get on board with that. You you said something. like you You talked about that you get their emails that you get their emails and then you just email them. But I know for a lot of founders uh, that are listening, it's hard, you know, you're in the meeting, Hey guys, can I get all your emails? You feel like you're uh, going to spam them. So what do you, how do you approach this? Yeah, there's a couple ways you can do it. So, cause that's a good question. I think setting appropriate expectation setting up front is really powerful. So um, a couple things you can do, bring business cards to your meeting. It's still something like we live in a pretty digital time now, but I think physical business cards still have value because uh, there's a reciprocal side of it. Like you give somebody your business card, they'll, they'll probably give it back and there's always an email on there. Um, you can always ask. So I just had a meeting with a, with a law firm and at the end of the meeting, I, I was talking to the COO. It was me and him in the room at the end. And I said, hey, it'd be really helpful if you could give me everybody's email address because I'd like to send them thank you notes And then I also want to ask them privately if they have anything that we didn't discuss that that is important for the law firm to know. And you and I were talking about it. People won't reply to that mass email. And this guy agreed with me. Look, our customers want to make the right decisions. They want to make sure that that every, every person's concerns are addressed. And so when you stop looking at it as like an antagonistic relationship and you're actually working with this customer to help them find the right solution, they're open to that. So there's two business cards. You've got asking, you've got the calendar invite. So when I have a meeting, I like I live and die by my calendar. I'm sending it to, and I might not know everybody's email address who's in that meeting. A couple things you can do. One, in advance, ask your point of contact for email addresses of who's going to be in the meeting because you need to send a calendar invite. Or two, if you're the one who sent the calendar invite, ask your contact to forward that invite to the people who will be in the room. Well, by virtue of you creating the invite, now all those people's email addresses are on there. Um, 
I'm trying to think. I think that's it. You've also got the LinkedIn thing too. So um, it's pretty easy to find people on, on LinkedIn. I've got one more for you actually. And I think a lot of folks know this, but if you can know the format of the company's email addresses, you can pretty much guess. So if you and I worked at the same company, Adam, my email might be nick.sigelski at email.com and yours might be adam.springer. And so if we met John Smith, we, we would probably reasonably be able to guess it's john.smith. There's a bunch of like free plugins too. There's a tool I use. It's called hunter.io. It's a free Chrome plugin. You go to a company's website, you click this button in Chrome and it will um, it'll scrape the internet for domain names ending in that company's name. And so I, I'm a, typically able to get email addresses that way. Uh, and then there's a bunch of paid tools you can also use. So there's a lot of different ways. I don't think there's an excuse for not getting contact information from every single person you meet with. I think it's fantastic and everybody should be doing this. It's uh, it's really important. And you said something else during this whole, this whole conversation. You said a lot of good things. But... Uh, that your job or what you're trying to do, which is really differentiating you between the, the the newer, less experienced sales reps, is that you're trying to understand how their business works. You're not there to sell them. You're trying to understand how their business works and how you could help them. And yeah. it's such a big key differentiator. Well, it's so important in every space. And I actually might even argue it's because I sell into a very specific vertical. I am only selling to law firms. And so, again, I think a novice might think that, oh, all law firms operate the same and they're going to have the same sets of challenges. And that could not be further from the truth because the way that an intellectual property law firm operates is completely different from a personal injury firm. They have completely different metrics they look at ways that they make money. Um, I mean, that's like, it's huge. It's, I could go on and on and on, but understanding that is really, really important because then I know how to present our solution in the right light. And it also lets me know when I might want to walk away or what deals I, or I think we have less of a chance of winning. So, yeah, I mean, it's really important. It's really important. The discovery piece, I actually think is the most important part of, of my sales process. And so, uh, or at least of winning the sale. And that's something I'm actively working to get better and better and better at. And that should be something. And so many people think the discovery phase is just the beginning. It's it's the whole way through. I mean, you're still discovering even at the yeah. end of the deal. Oh, you're absolutely right. That, you know, that's, that's a huge piece, Adam. A discovery isn't a box we check and, okay, I had my discovery call. Now let's get on to the selling. And, and then your ears just shut the rest of the time. And it's just like, oh, 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 oh. Um, I was actually talking to my girlfriend last night um, and she doesn't work in sales, but she has a pretty important call that she has to be on um, with a, a pr prospective partner of hers. And I was talking about pre-call planning and I said, here are the things I think you need to do. You need to know, and she's talked to this, this company before, you need to know what information you want to convey on this call what information you're hoping to, you want to get on this call, and then what your ideal next step is after this call. And the, the second piece I said in there is the most important. Before every call, I have an idea of what more information do I need to pull out here? What else do I need to know? And I think that it's helpful because you go into every call with the mindset of there's more that I can learn about this business. So like I'm 
I take really, really detailed notes. You can go into my, my Salesforce CRM and like, I'll talk, I mean, I'll write about the, the ski vacation that the, the COO of this law firm is going on in two months. And it's, uh, you know, information about their kids and their lives and the food that they like. But like, that's all discovery stuff because I don't know, maybe now if we have a meeting and I get the better lunch, you know, it just puts that person in a good mood. I don't know. I think it's really yeah. important to listen, but then also, especially over an 18 month sales cycle, if you're not putting everything in the CRM, it's, you're going to forget. I'm talking to 20 different customers on different threads and timelines over huge periods of time, you've got to be meticulous about recording that. And 20 is a, is a small amount when you're talking about a smaller sales cycle. Many people are yeah. talking to two, 300 people at a time. Oh, man. You, there's no way you could keep track of that. And so many people try. And they're just like, oh, yeah, okay, when he emails me back or I don't need to take notes. It's a, <sighs> yeah, take notes. Well, there's a, great, there's a great book. It's called Getting Things Done which I haven't read actually. I've listened to a podcast with a guy who wrote the book, but what he says is your, your mind is incredible at creating ideas. It's terrible at holding them. So I don't try and store anything up here. I don't try to remember anything up here. It all goes on paper. Everything goes on paper. And then I put it into, um, I use the tasks function in Outlook because I inevitably end up losing the paper or I travel, but everything gets written down and put somewhere so that, and it, you wouldn't believe what it's done for my mental health and my stress levels. I'm not worried anymore about forgetting things or like, you know, that feeling in the back of your mind, like, Oh man, I know I'm forgetting something here. Also, you know what, for anyone who, who thinks, Oh, you know what? I, it takes too much time to put things in my CRM. It's going to slow me down. It's actually the opposite, or at least I found it the opposite, because like I mentioned in the beginning, a huge part of my job is preparing the different subject matter experts at my company to have conversations. And when I can go into the notes and copy and paste things and send it that way, it's actually a lot quicker than sitting there and trying to think and retype everything out. So it saves me time. Absolutely. I, I found the same thing a lot of several years ago, way back when, is that my mind is better at processing information, not storing it. And yeah. I'm, I'm well known, you could ask anybody I've ever worked with, that after a sales phone call, about two minutes later, you could ask me anything about it. I don't even remember <laughs> who I spoke to. Tell them, just check Salesforce. It's there. Yeah, I love it. I love <laughs> the it. steps are there. What we, what we talked about are there. I, I have no idea anymore. It's done. It's out of yeah. my head. I love it. So on that note, what are some other tips and tricks and, and things that you are doing on a daily basis to, to keep yourself on the top of your game? I think the biggest, the biggest thing that I do around that, and I like the word tips and tricks, actually, because what I try to do, I actually picked this up from this guy I followed, Jake Dunlap, who he talks a lot about He's really in on like the social selling stuff on LinkedIn and even on Instagram. And so I saw him post something maybe a year ago and it said, look for something every single day where you can be a little bit lazier. And I don't ever define myself as lazy, but what he meant by that is look for ways that you can save yourself a minute. Like, is there a the way you can change the order of operations that you, you log something in Salesforce to save yourself 60 seconds? 
Because if I can save myself 60 seconds a day uh, over the course of a week, uh, there's five minutes a day that I've saved. And it ends up being cumulative, right? Because five minutes one week, then it's 10 minutes the next week, like total that I've saved. Then you end up slicing out all of this fluff and you become so much more efficient. So something that I'm trying to do every day is I'm, I'm going through, like, I'm not just, I'm not like a mindless zombie going through and having these calls and completing tasks. I'm also taking just a little bit of time to look at, is there a better way that I could do this? Is there a more efficient or more effective way that I could do this? And so like an example that, that you and I talked about the last time we spoke is I use a, a plugin in Outlook called Quick Parts. And Quick Parts is simply a text expander. And so I'll give you an example. When I'm prospecting, I frequently get the reply, no thanks, not interested. And I'm sure that the listeners here have gotten a reply like that or, you know, um, you know, please stop emailing or, you know, whatever. Like they, they, they reject you, but you don't get any intel. Well, I always respond with the same message. I found like my best practice message, I wrote it down is, um, Adam, thank you so much for replying to my email. Was it just bad timing or a different reason? I don't want to unnecessarily follow up if it's a bad fit. And we can break down that message if you really want me to, but I found that that is a message that gets me another response because the prospect doesn't want me to keep following up. They want to tell me why it's a bad fit. Um, and so I get that reply and I get intel on why it's not a good fit because maybe they'll say, hey, we actually just, we just signed a deal with X competitor of yours a month ago. We won't be making another decision on this in like 20 years. Well, I'm still probably going to follow up in six months in case the competitor botched the rollout, but likely that's not going to be a customer that I, that I go after in my lifetime. And so I might just put them on like a slow drip where I'm sending them auto emails for the next couple of years. But to get back to your, or I guess our original thread, the idea behind that is instead of me taking 90 seconds to type that message out and then look at it and proofread it because I don't want typos in my emails, I have a template for that. Well, it's one thing to have a template where I go into a Word document and copy and paste it. It's another to use this tool called Quick Parts. And all I do is I, I, you, I name each of my templates. This one is called rejection. And so I start to type the word rejection. And when I type the word rejection, Outlook gives me the option to hit enter. And it expands the word rejection actually into that, that two or three sentences that I took, told you there. And so instead of what would before have taken me 90 seconds and also mental energy proofreading that message, I, I've already proofread the template 18 times. So start to type it. Hit enter, reply, eight seconds. That's what it takes me. There is a minute and a half that I am saving. Now, if you multiply that on the five rejection emails that I get every single day, you start to see it's freeing up time, but actually even more importantly, it's freeing up mental energy. I'm not, I'm not thinking about it anymore. It's actually a lot easier and it frees my mind up for the complex stuff because I'm not being paid to, to proofread 47 emails that I send out a day, I'm being paid to have those like sophisticated conversations with the CFO. So I think that's the biggest tip or trick that I would give because it allows you to pick up tips and tricks across the board. Yes. Yeah, save time as much as possible. And it, 
what you said about the mental energy is so so true. Whether it's you know taking time doing irrelevant tasks or even uh, keeping your inbox clean. You know, so many times I've had some salespeople on my team that have this huge mess of a sales of an inbox. Yeah. Like, how can you how can you keep track of anything? Oh, I have a system. I start if it's important, and I flag it if it's not read, or I need to return to. It. So why not just everything in your inbox is a to do item? Archive it once it's done. That's it. Yep, that's yes. how I do things too. Yeah, it would be and, so much better. Oh, I mean, when I was in college, I remember I had like eighteen thousand emails in my Gmail inbox, and um, I had this dead period between my finals, I think, or, you know, end of classes and finals. And I said, all right, I'm never living like this again, because it was too stressful through college. And I'm like, I know when I start working, it's going to get, there's going to be emails coming in, I need to clear this. So that's what I do. Now, that said, the way that you keep yourself organized, Adam, won't be the same that I keep myself organized, won't be the same that someone else does. So I think somebody has a system that works for them. Good. I, 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 I somewhat believe in the like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I also believe in perfect is sometimes the enemy of good. And so like get yourself to, to 95% perfect. Cause I'm sure, I'm sure there's ways I could tweak my organization just a little bit more, but I might be better off looking at another part of my life that I could see even like, I'm not as far along on the um, uh, what's it called? The law of diminishing returns function uh as i am on something else so i'm with you i i but i i don't know how some people live with twenty thousand emails in their inbox and um <laughs> keeping yourself organized both like with your personal life and your professional life it, i can do more something here's one here's another one I actually i'll give you so every night before i go to bed i write in my journal and i've been doing this since grade and it's awesome because i can go back and i can read where my head was at the first the first week of high school for me. And it's really, really cool to go back and read some of those things. But I, I actually the most value that I get out of it is is what I do is I I'll like I'll recap the day that I just had. And so what I do is I spend about a page recapping the day that I had and then a, a page writing out what the next day or two days should look like in my mind. And that plan usually gets blown up, but um, even if only 30% of, of what I have sticks to plan and ends up working out much better than if I just was flying by the seat of my pants. So the value here is writing out what I did that day and analyzing what I did that day lets me look at what went well, what didn't. And then I think about what would have I, what would I have done differently if I could have lived this day again? And so it, it somewhat goes back to what we talked about where I'm analyzing those processes and seeing like, what could I do a little bit better? Um, so that that's something that I think is really, really powerful. And then I also, I track against certain, I call them metrics. I guess now I can call them KPIs because everybody likes to talk about KPIs now. Um, but I look at a couple things. I look at, um, did, I, did I eat five servings of vegetables? Did I get some semblance of exercise? And that could even be, I went for a 15 minute walk because it was a crazy day, but I've got to do something to like, to be active. Um, so did I get my vegetables? Did I get exercise? I say, did I make, uh, did I make 25 cold calls? Now there's most of most days I, I really aim to get higher than 25, but 25 is the baseline because if I'm prepared and I, I time block it, I can get 25 cold calls done in 45 minutes probably. And so that's a really small sliver, but it's one of those consistent behaviors that adds up over time. Um, and then I look at 
something that I added recently is, did I do something to practice mindfulness? So I've been getting really, really into hot yoga. That checks two of the boxes, mindfulness, and then also um, working Exercise. out to do that. But um, again, I, it's not necessarily about a big behavior. I can do mindfulness if I took two minutes and I, I set a timer on my phone and I just breathed for two minutes. I stopped doing anything and I didn't worry about being productive. What I found is if I hit those four things, vegetables, exercise, mindfulness, and then my cold calls, that day's a win. Usually I get way more than all that stuff done, but, but that's the foundation for a great day and for long-term sustained success. So I don't even know what the original question was, but that is something <laughs> that has had one of the biggest impacts on getting to me where I am personally and professionally. Yeah, I think I think that's keeping um, some kind of goal. Uh, I think they're kind of one of the same. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is super important, and and I just found it out myself. Like really, like hit me hard. Is last year I I had a goal to walk like real sport walk like uh, one thousand two hundred kilometers. Uh, and the, wow. and then, and then also read 30 books and I did it and I, and I, I actually read like 32 books, but then I, for 2019, I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm not going to set any goals, but I'm, I'm on a roll. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. I read probably like three books and, wow. until last month. And now I, I, I put the goal again in this month already. I think it's so important to to write the to write these goals down and to have these goals like and follow up with them and keep them simple yeah. like you said well and i think you could even break that down further because for some people it's too big of a bite to say i'm going to read 30 books for another person like like for me i, I would just i'd look at that and i would say i don't think i can do that no i, I love reading so i probably would hit it anyway it's the way i fall asleep is, is reading but Maybe you say, okay, instead of this big goal and a number, so maybe next year when you hit 2020, what you'll say is, I'm going to read for four minutes a night. Like before I go to bed, as long as I read for four minutes, you could even make it easier. I'm going to read one sentence, of the book that I have on my nightstand. Now, chances are you're going to open up the book. And once you've read one sentence, you're going to want to know what the next one says. And now 27 minutes have passed and you've been reading for the past half hour. And it's awesome. Okay. I made a really big dent in this, but so that's why my, my number for cold calls is pretty low, 25. And that's why my mindfulness thing can be checked as completed if I only did one minute of breathing. And that's why I, I qualify a workout as anything more or uh, more intense than or longer than 15 minutes of walking. Because chances are I'm going to hit more than that behavior. But I set the goal really, really low because if I hit the minimums on all of those, I actually usually end up doing a lot more. Okay, man, I'm exhausted. It's been a really tough day. I'm like, my brain's fried. I don't want to work out. Okay, well, I want to check this. I'm going to walk for 15 minutes. I do this all the time with my girlfriend. We like walking and that's how we catch up. And we'll say, ah, oh, we're both kind of tired. We're going to do a really short walk tonight just to the end of the block and back. And an hour and a half later, we've walked seven miles. <laughs> and um, now we're sitting at like a nice sushi joint that we found. And it's like, it's great. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes it, I think it does pay off to set the bar low because, and yeah, I think it depends on your personality. I set the bar, yeah, set the bar low and then I'm like, I crush it. Yeah. It, it has a psychological effect. If you set it, uh, set it not too low where you feel stupid, but yeah. like, 
where like it's low enough that's like really easy to do because then like you feel like okay i accomplished this yeah like, yeah and you feel good about yourself all right we're, we're running out of time um but what's what's one piece of advice that you have for all the salespeople and the founders out there i think you need to recognize that one you're probably better than you think Two, you're talking to other humans and all you need to do is be a person and, and talk with other people. And there's a lot of actionables I think I threw at you here and ways to improve and get more technical in your, your selling and also in your process. But when I started my career, I thought this was, I thought there was like a magic trick or special words that I could say that would get a sale to close. And I didn't think I was going to be great at at this and like I, I had this picture in my mind of what a salesperson was. And then I saw the best salespeople weren't like these, these jack dudes drinking Red Bull, screaming into the phones and like smashing gongs. They were actually very thoughtful and strategic professionals. And yeah. that's actually, I've changed my word. Like I don't say that I'm a salesperson. I say that I'm a sales professional because in my mind, there's a difference. Uh, I'm Huge. I'm a professional there to help a customer and help them decide if we're a good fit for for doing business with them. And of course, I want them to do business with them. And and I'm still there to make a sale. Um, and so, of course, I'm still trying to influence that decision. But um, I'm not this 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 dude who's slugging Red Bulls and and screaming and 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 tricking my and, and deceiving my customers. So I think you need to understand, like you're a person. You're you're. You're able to have conversations with other people. Don't worry about messing up because that's how you get better. And so I don't know if I can wrap that all up and do a nice bow, but but that's that's probably <laughs> the motivational speech I would give someone who's who's looking for it. I think it's really important to remember that the people on the other side are also human. Just just go for it. Yeah. Cool. Nick, I really appreciate you coming out here today and uh, sharing with us. How could people reach out to you if they want to? ask you more questions or get to know you? Yeah. The best way to get in touch with me is going to be LinkedIn. And if you'd like to speak with me, I'm happy to talk with anybody. Add me as a connection and then put a little note in the connection field. Say, hey, I listened to you on Adam's podcast. You know, would love to talk to you about whatever. But put that in because I get a lot of random LinkedIn requests now from people. I have no idea why they want to connect. I still accept them. But um, if you put that note in, I'll know to respond. Yeah. All right, I'll I'll try to remember to put uh, put your LinkedIn name, your LinkedIn uh, link, also in the show notes. Uh, Perfect. But if not, this your name is there too. So, yep. Great, Nick. Thanks very much. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at Adam at startupsales.io. 